Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. You're listening to Revolver Podcasts. Good afternoon. A San Antonio district judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. State District Judge Angus McGinty is at the center of an investigation today involving the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin, and it cost him his freedom, his livelihood, his bench, and law license. Since pleading guilty, he's refused to talk about the details of his criminal case. Until now. I did it because I was foolish. And that one little mistake that I made, that I never really intended to make, but I did, cost me everything. Everything. But this is not just the story of a single judge taking a one-time bribe. You see, during the FBI's corruption investigation back in 2014, agents recorded attorney Al Acevedo on his cell phone, boasting he was bribing several state judges. Only McGinty was charged and prosecuted. That's because the FBI's undercover operation was compromised when word of the investigation was leaked to the very judges who it was targeting. The names of other judges and bribes they allegedly took have been kept sealed in secret FBI and court files, with many of those judges still on the bench. But I've obtained those secret files, and the truth of the courthouse corruption scandal, and exactly who was involved, will finally be revealed. I'm investigative reporter Brian Collister, and this is How to Bribe a Judge, the podcast. None of the judges admit to taking a bribe. Surprise! <laughs> How about that? They didn't admit to committing a crime. Um, well, this this entire uh, courthouse investigation comes down to one person, Al Acevedo. And so, if you believed Al Acevedo enough to prosecute me, but you don't believe him to prosecute others well that would mean you thought he lied and then if you have a witness who's a liar then how do you know what he said against me is not a lie so you either have to believe everything he says or nothing um with that said sometimes people accused of crimes are not guilty sometimes they are guilty 
And sometimes you're just in that big gray middle where they did something stupid or wrong or unethical like I did and someone can accuse them of a crime, accuse me of a crime. I think it's it's truthful to say that I was both guilty and not guilty of it. What I mean by that is that had we had a trial, I would have testified that I didn't mean to break the law. I wasn't trying to do anything illegal. I wasn't trying to get uh, uh, money or favors and then in return give someone a favorable ruling. I wasn't trying to do that. But yet that's what happened. So two things happened close enough to each other that someone, a jury, could assume that that's what I meant to do and I'm guilty of it. But yet I didn't mean to do it. It seems like I'm splitting hairs. I can see by well, the look on your face. It, well, it, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, the, the, the person in the car accident that says, I didn't mean to drive drunk and slam into that car and kill that person. Well, of course you didn't, but you're still going to prison. So, good point. So, and that's a, that's a real good uh, metaphor for, for what I'm trying to describe is, I committed the acts, but I didn't mean to commit the crime. And so, we're in that gray area where, a jury might have found me not guilty because I didn't intend to get uh, something in return for anything I did. But by the same token, a jury might have said, no, McGinney, you're full of shit. I think you meant to do that. Would they have believed Acevedo? Would they have believed Acevedo if we'd have had a trial? And Acevedo would have said, yeah, I tried to bribe McGinney. And then on cross-examination, we say, well, what about Richardson? Did you do that? He's either going to have to admit to it or not. Let's say he says, no. Okay, so you lied about that here in the FBI report. Okay, what about Sid Harl? Did you do that? No. Okay, you lied about that too. Can you see what I'm doing? I'm building up a case that he's a liar. Or he admits to it. You gave Sid Harl extra money for his mom's car, didn't you? like it says right here in the FBI report, because you didn't lie to that FBI agent, did you? You're not going to admit right here in front of this jury under oath that you lied to an FBI agent? No, I didn't lie to him. Okay, then you did bribe Siddhartha. So could have gone a number of ways. It, it sounds like you had a, at least in, in the way you frame it, you had a case to be made. Granted, you would be rolling the dice on 20 years in prison, but... Um, <laughs> You know, uh, Judge Sid Harrell, when I spoke with him, said he wished that you had gone to trial. and Because he didn't, in his opinion, he didn't see quid pro quo. Well, and, uh, and I'll tell you, I, um, I don't hold anything against Sid Harrell. Um, now, based on your investigation and what you've told me, if he directed or or uh, colluded with Alan Brown and Jay Norton to make sure that I was found guilty and nobody else was all right then I'm I think he needs to be condemned for what for what he did but we don't have any evidence of that right if on the other hand 
Alan Brown and Jay Norton took upon themselves to do what they did, what I think is beyond a doubt as to what they did. They did no legal work to defend me. They failed to defend a defensible case, and they let me, stood by and let me get dragged under. Did they do that because the evidence was overwhelming against me? Hell no. Did they do that because they wanted to protect others? Most likely. Did they do it because they wanted to protect their own asses? Yes, without a doubt. They were mentioned in the investigation. They were part of it with the same agent. So so why didn't the Supreme Court believe that argument? Have you ever seen a box of matches thrown on the ground? Yes. Now pick one. That's, what's, that's what it's like going in front of the Supreme Court when you're talking about asking them to hear your case. So a little known fact, you know that courts have different types of jurisdiction, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a felony court has felony jurisdiction. A misdemeanor court has misdemeanor jurisdiction. An appellate court can hear appeals from these courts or, or that court. The Supreme Court is the only court in America that decides itself what its jurisdiction is. It decides itself what its cases are going to be. It, it sets its own table. It decides itself what it's going to hear. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. The United States Supreme Court, during any given year, gets between five and 6,000 requests from uh, state courts and federal courts uh, for them to hear this appeal. Civil, criminal, military, um, and they can only hear a certain number. I think it's even under 100. It's something really small. And so they can't hear every case. They simply decide what subject matter they want to hear, and then they hear it. So they decide what subject matter they want to entertain, and then they accept those limited cases and then decide on that. It's not that they can decide each case on the merits. They can't. So they denied my application for them to hear my case. They didn't deny the facts, or they didn't rule against me. They just simply said, we're not going to hear it. And that's not on the merits. So, I thought they gave sort of a reasoned opinion, if you will, that they sort of laid out uh, 
you know, you should have known better. And that's the Fifth Circuit. That's the Court of Appeals. Which that which the Supreme Court, I'm sure, reads in preparation for deciding if they're going to take the case. No. From what I know from appellate lawyers, they simply um, look at the type of case it is, what the issues are, and whether or not they want to entertain hearing it. So why not um, seek another avenue, uh, like uh, to to either prove your innocence or prove these holes in the, the government's case, you know, suing for a malpractice, your attorneys, or... So that's a real good idea. Um, if I wanted to sue them, I have to do it within four years of the time I discovered that they um, committed malpractice. I knew before I got sent to prison that Alan and Jay committed malpractice, or even worse, against me, flat out, sold me down the river <laughs> and again they haven't been i know. They haven't been disciplined by the state they haven't been, they disciplined, haven't been sued been and accused. found guilty of anything this is my own opinion yes, based on the, on the, fo- the following opinion is brought to you by <laughs> angus mcginty and only angus mcginty um uh, the time for me complaining against them has come and gone years ago um how do yeah. you feel to have this opportunity to voice it in this platform and to have everything at least everything I can get my hands on vetted and, and out there. I wish I could do more to, uh, to help you. You know, I'm, I, whoever gave you this, uh, more power uh, to them and more power to you. I hope you uncover any and everything you can about, about uh, this case as well as any other case that you come across. How does it, how does it feel to, to have some of what you have gone through at least out there? Um, I'll tell you, it's a strange feeling. Um, because for years, um, I had to, um, hide and, um, not, um, not be in society. And this has, uh, afforded me, um, a little breathing room and, uh, I'm able to, uh, sort of, uh, reintegrate myself into society more and uh, that's a stupid fucking answer no it's uh, if it's how you feel then that's your answer truthfully i wish i wish that we could be on nbc news i wish that you and i could broadcast everything and we could talk about everything that happened in my case everything that uh happened in other cases why what happened in my case can resonate to other cases. Why Why does the FBI never record witnesses? Which we talked about. Which we talked about. Right. Um, why do they rely on, on uh, uh, making up what witnesses say? Um, bonds. Who gets a bond? Who doesn't get a bond? How the criminal justice system works. How it's fair. How it's unfair. How lawyers get paid. All those things I'd love to talk about so what what your podcast has done for me personally is help me relight the fire to discussing the law i mean i i went to law school because i liked the fact that i could argue on someone's behalf for some wrong that was done to them that's what i went to law school for at first i wanted to be a personal injury lawyer and then changed to criminal defense but and so over time as the the grind of 
uh, being in practice got to me, I lost that fire. It went out. And then when I was prosecuted and ended up going to prison, um, it was covered up with dirt. <laughs> so now it's relit. And I want to talk about any legal concept that anybody wants to talk about because that's what I loved to do when I was younger and I haven't done it. I've been driving a truck. I've been lifting boxes. I've been, I've been doing things that have nothing to do with what my passion was. And so, so my passion's move, relit. How do you move forward? What, what does the future hold for Angus McGinty? Um, well, I, um, I, what I've started is, um, an organization called Fixed Justice. Um, it's it's just born, and what what I want uh, it to be for is to help people in the justice system, primarily criminal but also civil, who need answers. Um, I think that our justice system, criminal and civil, operates in far too much secrecy. Litigants, if they're civil or if they are accused, they're uh, defendants, they have so many questions that are not answered. And when you have unanswered questions and you're forced through a system, a procedure where your questions are not answered, you then at the end of it would most likely have a sense that you were mistreated. So if we can educate people or even change rules to make the, the justice system more fair to people, then I think we're going in the right direction. Um, with that said, I think it's important to help the most, those that need the most first. And to me, that's inmates. Inmates need the most help first. Um, also, people who are in the criminal justice system who aren't incarcerated, they certainly need uh, help and guidance and answers. But right now, those that are suffering the most are the inmates. And let me tell you, I'm not here to advocate that everyone in prison should be let out. Okay, I'm not. What I'm advocating is that those who are in prison should not be treated as anything other than brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. That's who they are. They're not a number. They're not someone we throw away. They are people, our loved ones. They're our brothers and our sisters. And we need to remember that and care for them accordingly. The first thing we can do is stop putting them in solitary confinement like an animal. The second thing that we can do is to listen to them when they have complaints about how they're being treated. We can't because the Bureau of Prisons doesn't let them. The Bureau of Prisons hides things, so we need transparency. These things are not difficult concepts. They're not hard to do. What you have is a bureaucracy called the Bureau of Prisons that actively conceals what they do to our brothers and our sisters and our mothers and our fathers. We need to change the way we see the BOP and hold them accountable and make them transparent, make them transparent. So that's, that's what the future holds for me. 
And what about in terms of the system that you are a part of, judges, prosecutors, defense attorneys, that part of the system? What, what if anything, do you see needs to be changed or? So I was a prosecutor for 10 years, basically, and I was a, uh, well, nine years, and I was a defense attorney for about 11 years, and I was a judge for three and I was an inmate for 18 months and 12 days and six hours. And I can tell you that um, everything that I knew about the criminal justice system has been turned on its head. Um, so we have prosecutors that the only, the only reason they have to be honest is their own internal compass. That's it. They can hide evidence, disclose evidence at their leisure. <coughs> they can decide that this person deserves probation and that person doesn't. It's a lot of power to give to one person. And the prosecutor in County Court 5 can be completely different from the prosecutor in County Court 15. And the prosecutor in the 144th can be completely different than the prosecutor in the 379th. They can have wildly different concepts of what someone, what sentence someone should get. And so having prosecutors more on the same page as to what is an appropriate sentence and what's not. You've got some prosecutors that are willing to give someone a break or a chance. You've got other prosecutors that literally want to offer the maximum every time. And so your life, if you were the defendant, your life is going to depend on which court you get your case into. How's that for a roll of the dice? So should someone's future be the roll of the dice? Of course not. It shouldn't. So Moving on to defense lawyers, you've got our county, Bear County, and other counties leaning towards um, a, a, a public defender's office, which is a great idea because what Bear County has now, and I think they're trying to phase out, but other counties have it, and that is the system where defense attorneys are paid per case. Court appointments. Court appointments. And they, they get paid when the case ends. So if I'm going to tell you, hey, Brian, as a lawyer, I'm going to pay you when, you when you finish this case, do you think you're going to want to finish it pretty quickly? Sure. Yes. What finishes a case pretty quickly? Pleading them out. So there is an incentive on court-appointed lawyers to plead the case out. Now, that's not saying that you shouldn't have plea bargains. Yes, you should have plea bargains. Um, most every case is resolved with a plea bargain, 97-ish percent. But you need to have the court-appointed attorneys not rewarded for, for pleading a case out before it's been properly investigated. Um, so. so what is the, this idea of the, the public defender's office? So the public defender's office is basically treated like a law firm. It is a law firm that has a stable of lawyers. I don't know, would you call them a stable? Would you call them a, 
a paddock, a, law, a murder of lawyers. No, that's for crows, right? It's a, a, a pen, a pen of lawyers. So you have a stable of lawyers, and they each have cases that are appointed to them, but their salary is set. It does not depend on resolving that case quickly before they get paid. So they're on salary. And they represent primarily indigent they people. They represent primarily indigent people. Um, the resources of the state far outweigh what a private person can do. The, the DA's offices, even in the smallest counties, they have investigators, multiple investigators available for each case, and not to mention the investigations the police did. And they can, uh, they can issue subpoenas. They can do, uh, uh, get witnesses. They can compel people. Private citizens can't do that. And so there is an overwhelming power the state has, which is a good thing. If you're going to prosecute someone, you need to have the power to be able to prosecute them. Can you imagine what would happen if you, if you, someone could just object to you calling a witness and, against them? So, with that said, um, these public defenders' offices is a step in the right direction uh, to make sure that um, defendants' rights are respected. That, with that said, they have to get funded. You have to have public defenders who have the resources, uh, the investigators, to be able to get the things that the criminal defendants need. Um, judges. <laughs> this is the biggie. This is the biggie, Brian. So, as you and I have talked about, you can have a judge who solicits campaign contributions during the window when campaign contributions are allowed to be solicited, right? Okay. He can't do it at the courthouse, so he just goes to the defense lawyer's office, <laughs> and he bangs or on the door. The bar across the street. Right. Or there. And he bangs on the door and says, hey, I'm running for re-election. You going to give me some money or not? He can strong on them however much he wants, as long as he's not saying anything inappropriate like I'm going to give you better rulings or I'm going to let all your people out of jail. And that's all okay. He can get a campaign contribution that way. But if he's at a taco house and the defense lawyer buys his taco and goes, I got a sentencing tomorrow. I expect you to take care of me. And the judge says, oh, I love bean and cheese. You betcha I'll take care of you. That's a crime. And so what I'm, I, I'm, I'm using that analogy as a way of arguing that our judges in Texas can't be elected because they need money to run campaigns. And judges don't have the kind of money you need to run campaigns. Well, maybe they have some money to run campaigns, but um, they would rather use somebody else's money. And so they ask for contributions, and defense lawyers feel obligated to contribute. Literally obligated because a judge keeps a list of who contributed to him. He even puts it up at his part at his uh, campaign re-election party. Here's all the people that that uh, contributed to this as if to say, here's the in club. If your name's not on there, well I'm not going to say anything, but you get my point. But if we had judges that were appointed from you can call it a bipartisan task force. You can have a, a body of five or eight or ten people who would decide based on a, a, a number of applicants who would be qualified to be the judge 
You can have retention elections where someone is, uh, after they're appointed, they can be uh, voted on to keep their job, not just replaced by somebody who happens to have an R or a D next to their name, which is what we have right now. We have excellent judges who are Republicans and excellent judges who are Democrats. And depending on where you are and where the election is, they're either in or out through no, um, and it's not a reflection on their merit. They just get swept away or swept into office, either one. And if you didn't have that system, if you had, if you remove judges from the political game, then you wouldn't have judges asking for contributions to lawyers who feel obligated to give it, who practice in their court. <laughs> Everyone I've talked to from you to uh, former FBI agent Michael Carlisle to current Judge Sid Harrell all said basically the same thing, that the system is broken in the sense that we still have elected as opposed to appointed judges. The other side of the coin is, well, we, the public, have the right to put who we want in office, and that's the ultimate power of the people. Both those things can be true. So, yes, the people have the right to put someone in an office of responsibility that the, of their choosing. But you have to have qualified people. So if, if you're going to, if you're going to let the people elect who is going to be a, a felony district judge, say in the 144th, and you don't have qualifications, uh, you don't have any qualifications listed, well, how about the 20-year-old kid down the street? Let's have him do it. He's real nice. Would that person have any idea what to do on a motion to revoke, on, a, on sentencing someone to life in prison, on not sentencing them to life in prison, on ruling, on motions, evidentiary issues? So you need someone qualified. Voters don't know who's qualified. And if you leave it up to the candidate, they're going to say that they're qualified and the other guy is not qualified. So I guess what I'm saying is you need to take away the lying. Take away the lying. And the only way to do that is to remove them from running from office. They can apply to the job. And then once a judge is appointed, let the public retain them. So you have a judge who was appointed to be in this court, and then he is every two years or four years, however it is, uh, the legislature decides they're up for a retention election. And the voters decide, yes or no, is this judge going to keep his job? And maybe that committee can have uh, evidence on the judge. This is how many cases he's handled. This is how many cases he's handled in relationship to the other judges. He's either number one amongst the 15 judges or he's number 15. He, he's handled the least cases. He's had 10 instances of coming to work late. Just some way of informing them. Instead, we have politics, which, as we know, is all one big lie. One side lies about the other side and vice versa. So, yeah, I, I would end my discussion on the criminal justice system with the judges that that is the 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 uh, keystone to making things better is you've got to take politics 
out of the judiciary. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. So my last question for you is, um, I know that you are applying to get your law license back and that that is something that you want to do at some point. You don't want to talk about that? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm giving you faces to see if you'll react. <laughs> so my last question for you is what the future holds in, in this sense. I know that you want to get your law license back and that you can reapply for your law license after a certain period of time. And you can either do that in Texas or in another state, uh, either before or after the time, depending on the state. So tell me, how are you going to get your law license back? How do, how do you think, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, I'm a judge who had a three-time DWI record and I lost my seat, but you're a judge who accepted a bribe. And that's, in the eyes of other judges, that's the scarlet letter. That's the worst of the worst. So how do you think you'll be able to approach that hurdle and get your law license back? And if you do get it back, what kind of work will you do? Well, yes, I do want to get my law license back. Um, it's been um, seven years since I practiced law. Um, I do want to get it back. Um, I, am, and all I can do is, uh, when the time is right, when I decide to apply is to be honest about, uh, what happened. Um, that, uh, I know that I was, uh, accused and convicted of this crime, but I want them to have the facts. Uh, and when I say they, I mean, uh, the, the body that will be deciding whether or not I can. Um, get my law license back. Um, and I'll talk to you about that procedure. Um, all I can do is just be honest with them and tell them, this is what I did. This is the mistake I made. Um, and, and hope that they understand um, how sorry I am for that mistake um, and how long it's been and what I've been doing in the interim to not only understand what I did, why I did it, why others do it, um, and how I can help. Um, that's what I want them to understand. Um, 
I uh, I have to get uh, a consent from a, uh, a bar examining board to take the bar again. So when uh, I'll have to take the bar again, um, and I'm 59, so I don't know if I can study that much uh, like I did when I passed it the first time. Um, but I'll give it a try if they let me. Um, what I want to do, what I feel passionate about, and I had mentioned this to you earlier in our talk today, um, I had lost that passion, that fire. And the the passion and the fire that I have now to talk about these things that you and I have been talking about, I, uh, I also have uh, a passion and a fire to help inmates uh, because I was one. Um, and what... Uh, what, how I primarily want to help them, uh, Brian, is give them information. Um, inmates are in the dark about a lot of things that have to do with their case, criminal procedure, criminal evidence. And I want, I want them to know that I'm, I'll be there to listen and to offer an honest opinion and assessment of the help that they need. Um, inmates aren't stupid. They're not trying to, um, yes, they want to get out early. Everybody who's in there does, but they, they want someone to honestly listen to them and then tell them, do they have a reason to get their case overturned or to get out a little early or even to help them on some administrative problem that they're having, you know, the, the jail took away their good time or, or the, uh, uh, BOP's not uh, crediting them with some time that they served in another county jail or just things like that just to make their time go better. Um, I think I've told you about good time versus bad time, that if you're doing bad time, the days drag on. And if you're doing good time, the days go faster. And good time is the time when you don't have to worry about things that have to do with your case or your family and you're able to do your time and not be bitter, or at least not be as bitter as, as you would if you were doing bad time, where your family is being mistreated or someone's hurting on the outside and you can't do anything about it, or you were mistreated in your case, something happened in your case, or something happened to you at prison, and you, you don't have anyone that can help you. I want to help inmates do good time and not bad, so that's my... That's what I want to do when I get my license back. If you'd like to read the still sealed secret FBI and court files for yourself, I've posted them online. Simply go to investigativenetwork.org. And thank you for joining me for How to Bribe a Judge, the podcast. I'm investigative reporter Brian Collister. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human, 
Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy.